Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. You're now tuned to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Tell a friend to tell a friend, because for the first time in a month, we are live back on the air. Ah! Sorry. Felt really good. Felt really good, man. Um, But yeah, welcome to the show, guys. It's been a hot minute since we've, since we've been on the air. So we haven't been on the air primarily because um, Maximum FM had to do some renovations within the studio. Uh, as far as the, you know, the aesthetic, the cosmetics, as well as the equipment and what have you, we had to do a little bit of a revamp and what have you. So because of that, we were, you know, on the shelf for about a month, or my show in particular was on the shelf for, for about a month. I think we're back in tip-top shape by close to the end of April, but again, I still have some other obligations to attend to. Like I did say in prior episodes that I would not be doing the show on the 19th and 26th, but nonetheless, we're back on the air and... I wish I could just do like a like a straight run through of all the hot topics that were being discussed between the beginning and the April, but we'd be here all night and we don't have that kind of time. But nonetheless, there's a whole bunch of things that I really, really wanted to discuss, especially the whole Nipsey Hustle situation as well. But again, it didn't fit the timeline or what have you. Uh, with that said, I want to give a big shout out to my man Brooks. He was supposed to be our guest for tonight's episode, however, he wasn't able to make it. He had some personal issues to uh, attend to, but he will be back in studio sometime this month. I will keep you guys posted on that. That is a promise. But nonetheless, shout out to my man Brooks. With that said, however, um, there as much great things that have happened uh, within within media, within music, uh, film, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, we do have to touch on one tragedy that did happen this week, and I would feel uh, I'd feel very disrespectful if I didn't address this. So with that being said, it's time to let that itch breathe. Let this bitch breathe. With that said, I want to talk about John Singleton. All right. So as you all know, John Singleton passed away this week uh, due to uh, complications from a stroke. And I'm sure we all know the details of it by now, just the general basics and what have you. Uh, what I want to discuss is his impact on Hollywood, especially when it comes to black Hollywood. Uh, this man made a name for himself with his debut film, Boys in the Hood. And the rest is history at that point. Like Some of the biggest names that we've seen in both film and music made their debut in that film. Cuba Goody Jr. made his debut in that film. Ice Cube made his debut as an actor in that film. Nia Long made her debut in that film. Morris Chestnut, the list goes on and on. A lot of these actors made their debuts in that film. And that film was such a critical success. Box office, I'm not so sure, but critical success it was. In fact, it was to the point where Singleton became the first African-American nominated for a Best Director Oscar. On top of that, he was the youngest director, regardless of race or gender, to be nominated for a Best Director Oscar. So he was already on the rise. And with that came the rise of a new black renaissance when it came to film. 
you're seeing all these creatives, whether they're uh, actors, producers, directors, writers, coming to the forefront, and it gave a new lens to black America for the general audience. So we had movies like Boys in the Hood. We had a movie like Do the Right Thing with Spike Lee. Mind you, that came a couple of years uh, prior, but nonetheless still part of that wave. But then again, um, again, inserting himself into that wave with uh, the movie Malcolm X that starred Denzel Washington. You had Denzel Washington come to a phrase as one of the biggest new actors in Hollywood at that time. And it doesn't just stop in film. It, it's in television as well. We had shows like Family Matters, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the Cosby Show, say what you will about Cosby, but nonetheless, still kind of part of that wave. A different world, which kind of catered more to that young black demographic. And so many shows in between, whether they're sitcoms, whether they're dramas. I mean, if you want to talk about dramas, New York Undercover, hello? Are you forgetting about that? We were attacking comedy within Living Color. Keen Ivory Wayans was also a visionary that kind of propelled that, that, that black renaissance. So, John Singleton was not only a part of that, but one could debate that he was leading the way, or at least, at the very least, one of the leaders of that wave. <clears throat> and on top of that, his career didn't stop. Like, he had cult classics like Baby Boy, for example. He had Higher Learning, for example. And then when he wasn't doing the quote-unquote urban drama, he was doing movies outside, outside of outside of his natural realm. So he did the remake uh, of Shaft with Samuel L. Jackson back in 2000. He also did Too Fast, Too Furious, one of the earlier uh, entries in the Fast and Furious franchise that introduced Tyrese into the franchise as well, as well as other new characters. And you could say that that was part of their own shared universe, so to speak. Speaking of which, we will be talking about Marvel later on, but I digress. But yeah, he was a part of this wave, and just not even just being a part of it, but he led the, he led the way. He was one of the leaders of this new wave. And what I loved about Singleton is that his directing style was very raw and it was very uncut. Like he wanted to show you what potentially does happen in underserved communities within Black America. He wanted to give you that lens. NWA did it on the music side. He was doing it through the film side, and that was his main premise. Now, he didn't have as much success um, in the 2000s or 2010s as he did in the 90s, but nonetheless, he still had his hands in a few different things here and there. He was, I think he wrote and directed the series Snowfall on FX. He did uh, some co-production co for the story of OJ on uh, FX as well. He, had, he directed a couple of episodes of Empire. He just had his hands in a few different pots here and there. And one of the main reasons why, <clears throat> pardon me, one of the main reasons why he decided to focus more on television rather than film was because of how black creators were treated in Hollywood during his time in Hollywood. And he felt that with uh, television, he had a little bit more creative license and freedom to do what he wanted to do. And there was less discrimination. This is coming from him. So I don't blame him for that because at the end of the day, you can only fight the good fight for so long before you realize that you've been fighting for so long that you're not happy anymore. And I can't fault any man or woman who, at the end of the day, just wants to be happy. So all the more towards him. And I feel like his his fight and his, sac and his sacrifices gave way to the black renaissance that we have going on right now in this decade, in the 2010 decade. I mean, you look at shows and movies like Black Panther, like Insecure, like Luke Cage, like Black Lightning, like A Wrinkle in Time, like Creed. So many films and TV series 
that are talking about the black perspective but from a different lens. It doesn't just have to be the hood drama anymore. It doesn't have to be the the the, the struggle anymore like, like, in terms of the black plight, like being a slave or being abused by the cops. It doesn't have to be the dance movie anymore. It doesn't have to be a Tyler Perry movie anymore. It can literally be about other aspects of life that just so happen to involve black people, which is why Creed was such a great film, which is why Insecure is a great series that's happening right now. And then the fact that we now get to, you know, enter the foray of of sci-fi or fantasy or anything like that is even better. And I feel like people like Spike Lee, people like John Singleton and others paved that way for people like F. Gary Gray, for Ryan Coogler, for, for Issa Rae, for uh, Donald Glover and Stephen Glover, for so many other black creators that are out in the space right now who are telling their stories from their perspectives and their lenses. Because, again, black people, we are not all one single monolith. We are all different people. And now I love the fact that you now have the African diaspora being more of a focal point in, in, uh, in, in television and in film nowadays. So this is part of the change that John Singleton helped spark. His work may not reflect the work of what's happening right now, but just the fact that he was able to kick in the door or help kick in the door with others and tell uh, his stories and other stories from his lens and his perspective uh, meant a great big deal to what's happening in black Hollywood right now and just in black film worldwide in general as well for people who are taking that approach. So it's a shame that, that we lost him so young. I mean, he was 51 and... You know, he had a history of high blood pressure, something that's very prevalent within the black American community and in other black communities across the world as well. So that's just another thing that we as black people have to kind of look out for as far as like high blood pressure and what have you. Make sure we're eating right, make sure we're eating healthy so we can uh, live a long-lasting, fulfilling life. But nonetheless, John Singleton, he is a pioneer. He is an OG. And he his face, in terms of black directors, should definitely be on the face of Mount Rushmore right now, first battle Hall of Famer, whatever you want to call it. He is a pioneer, he is a visionary, and he is a legend, and he will forever be immortalized. So rest in peace to John Singleton. But what do you guys think? Do you guys think that he paved the way for the current crop of creators that we have right now? What's your favorite film from John Singleton? Hit me up on social media at CC and share your thoughts. After the break... We are going to get into Avengers Endgame. Spoiler edition. There will be spoilers. I've been dying to talk about this for so long, and now I finally get to do it. So we're going to get into that after the commercial break. So keep it locked. This is Cool Radio, and we'll be right back after this. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. <clears throat> so yes, we are back. We are back. We are live in effect. Again, it feels great to be back in studio. But I will not keep you guys waiting no longer. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to review Avengers Endgame. Bah, 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 bah. Now, I'm I'm laughing at myself right now because I know somewhere in my little log in here, my program log, that I have a drop for, from Avengers Infinity War, the, the theme song. And I can't find it, but I was actually going to play it to intro it, but it, it doesn't matter. That's besides the point. Anyways, let's get into this review because I don't know how long the review is going to be. Maybe I might make it about 20 minutes roughly, but let, we'll see how it goes. Like, I'll play it by ear. But let's get into it. <clears throat> so, like I said before, 
Spoiler, 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 spoiler alert. This will be a spoiler review. You've had a week to see it. The movie made a billion dollars in the opening weekend, so I'm assuming a lot of people saw it. So that being said, let's get into it. Man, this movie was a roller coaster ride of emotion. It made me laugh. It made me wince. It made a lot of people cry. Not me, but I respect I respect them for shedding tears because there were some tear-jerking moments. And most importantly, by and large, this movie was very unpredictable. Um, and what I liked from the Russos um, is that they said that this movie wouldn't be based on any particular comic. Of course, you're going to add in a few references here and there to certain comics and certain issues. But by and large, this was going to be their own creation, their own film, essentially. They're not really... Uh, following a guideline of sorts, which is why this movie was in fact so predictable, and I loved it, and I loved it for that, as well as other things. So let's get into it. So this movie starts off relatively immediately after the destination happening, aka the snap, and it starts off with a whole bunch of people who are in separate locations. So you see Hawkeye, who's on the farm with his kids and and his wife, and unfortunately they get caught in the snap. And then you see Tony Stark in space with Nebula, and he's getting skinnier and skinnier by the day because he hasn't had food, or, or a proper amount of food, I should say, or a proper amount of oxygen, or, or any type of sust uh, sustenance whatsoever. So he's kind of losing energy by the day, and he records a voice message or a video message for Potts uh, in case he doesn't make it. And then out of nowhere, Captain Marvel finds him. She brings him back down to Earth to the Avengers at HQ. Everyone reunites, but it's not really like a warm welcome reuniting. It's a little bitter to say the least, which is expected because everyone just went through sh the most horrific shit. And everyone's pointing fingers, well, mostly, you know, Tony to Steve, but nonetheless, everyone's very discombobulated. Long story, long story short, they find Thanos. They find that he's in a, in a planet, you know, not too far from Earth. They race there. Thanos tells them that I destroyed the stones. And everyone was, like, flabbergasted. Everyone was in shock and disbelief. Thor cuts off his head, which I was not expecting. I'm like, whoa, whoa. This is Disney here. This is not Marvel and Netflix. This is, whoa. Man, that got dark. Got super dark. Like, the way they even, the way they even chopped off his hand as well. I'm like, wow. Like, these they're jumping here right now. Like, a, a small part of me felt bad for Thanos because this man was just chilling he was picking out, you know, fruits from the garden. He was cooking some eggs and everything like that. That out of nowhere, they just rolled up on him and said, run your gauntlet, son. That, oh my God. I almost felt bad for him for a second, but then I had to think about all the stuff they did in Infinity War and before him. Like, okay, yeah, he kind of had that coming. But still, the man was just chilling in his Daisy Dukes cooking breakfast. Like, he was chilling. Dude was chilling. But anyways, Thor executes him. Rock, even Rocket Raccoon, who is arguably the biggest savage of the Avengers, says, yo, what the, what did you do, man? And he's like, I went for the head. And even though the entire theater that I went to erupted in laughter, including myself, it wasn't really a funny moment. Like, when he said it, like, it was very somber. It felt like he felt sick that he actually did it, but he did whatever he did in order to feel better about the mistake that had just taken place which was him not finishing the job, not uh, being able to, you know, save everyone when he had the chance. Because you got to remember, Thor shoved uh, Stormbreaker right in the man's chest. 
And he was talking so much shit to him as he's doing, caressing his head, shoving that thing down further down his chest, talking about, I told you, you would die for that. Da -da 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 -da, and all that. Like, he's talking greasy, but then Thanos, with one of his last breaths, said, should have gone for that, sucker. And then, boom. Like, it's... You saw the movie. You already know how it goes. So here's the interesting thing now, as we've all seen the film. We fast forward five years after the decimation, or five years after that confrontation, I should say. But yeah, basically five years after the decimation. So now our heroes are having to live with the guilt and the remorse that they've had to feel because they couldn't get the job done. And everyone is coping with it in their own ways. So Captain America, Steve Rogers, he's basically Steve Rogers at this point, and he's doing like a, a relief center, basically, like a, almost like an AA meeting of sorts where people are just kind of talking about how they've coped with life and what have you, and he's the, the leader of it. It's kind of ironic because we see uh, Sam Wilson doing that in Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and Steve was kind of like, you know, on the outside looking in, kind of eavesdropping on this. So it's kind of cool they took that approach. By the way, I love the callbacks in this film, but I digress. Um, so you see that, you see uh, Natasha Romanoff at Avengers HQ still trying to get leads on what's happening. Um, you see uh, Bruce Banner later on in the film, he becomes Professor Hulk, so he's kind of made peace with himself and the Hulk combining the two. And I like it, actually. I really like it. This is the most interesting that the Hulk has been. And if they kind of continue on this path, I wouldn't mind seeing a standalone Hulk movie. I'm not a Hulk fan at all. I only like him as a complimentary piece, but I like Mark Ruffalo as a Hulk, though. Like, he's a really good actor for that role. Um, but, yeah, we see him becoming Professor Hulk. Uh, Ant-Man accidentally gets himself out of the quantum realm, all thanks to Master Splinter's cousin. Uh, <laughs> and then... No, it's screw it. Let's just, let's just address the elephant in the room. Thor is fat now. Thor is, like, dude Thor now. He is dude Thor. He is the big Lebowski Thor now, which... On paper and on screen, it looks hilarious because it's kind of like the same antics he was up to when he was in Thor Ragnarok. He even has Kor and the other dude sitting on the couch playing Fortnite. But really, when you think about it, it's dark humor in a sense because you know why he got that way. The fact that he wasn't able to save all those people in that split second of a moment. On top of it, on top of that, if you add on the other baggage that he's taken on with every member of his family dying. Um, with his home world being uh, blown to smithereens, with his girlfriend breaking up with him, and all that combined together, this was a long time coming. And it's very ironic to see a character like Thor, someone who's so sure of himself and so assertive, being reduced to somebody who's just like morbidly, not morbidly obese, but just like someone who just hasn't taken care of themselves at all. So it's very interesting to see how these people and these characters have coped. And what I like about the film is that even though it's not the action thrill ride that we got in Infinity War, this was more of a character piece. And I can appreciate that because with the, with the superhero movies, we fall into the trap of following the same formula. Origin story, how they got their powers, how they're learning to adapt to their powers, the villain that gets introduced, and how that person must use their powers in order to thwart the villain, the end. This was a complete departure from that, mainly because of the fact that this is an 11-year story arc. But nonetheless, we got to see these heroes as people, as individuals, before we got to see them as heroes. We didn't see Thor, the god of thunder. We just saw Thor Odinson. We didn't see Black Widow. We got Natasha Romanoff. We didn't get Captain America. We got Steve Rogers. We didn't get the Hulk. Well, 
kind of. We got the Hulk and David Banner together. But you see what I'm trying to say. We got a character study. And not that they don't do that in their other films, but the fact that we had this amount of time to sit with them was was very fulfilling. Like For the first hour of the movie, it was more character arcs than anything. Even, even in that second hour of the film, it was still character arcs because when they're traveling through time, we had uh, we had Tony rec uh, reconcile with his father back in the seventies, like them having a heart to heart, but they didn't know who was who and what have you. Well, Tony knew who he was, obviously, but nonetheless, we had moments like that that really spoke to who these characters are and why we've grown so attached to them over uh, the the period of a decade plus. And that goes into my next point: the time travel. Now. This was the main thing I was worried about because I've seen time travel done in films and television. By the way, I love the fact that they make fun of time travel through all these films like A Wrinkle in Time, Hot Tub Time Machine, uh, Back to the Future, etc., etc. I love it. Love it. It's almost like a breaking the fourth wall moment. Like, all you needed at that moment was Deadpool. Nonetheless, I love the fact that they handled the time travel theory as well as they possibly could. And I know there are people on YouTube who are doing their theories and their, their explanations on how this is a plot hole and that was a plot hole. And if this happened, then how come this didn't happen, et cetera, et cetera. I get it. But once you start doing a deep dive into that, then you don't enjoy the film for what it is. And mainly what it is is great storytelling. So with the way they handled the time travel aspect of it, I don't think they could have done it better. And because of that, I think the way that it was executed was as well as it could possibly be executed without having to fall into the whole thing of the, uh, plot hole theories and et cetera, et cetera, and, and, and contradictions and what have you. There are a few here and there, but nothing that took away from the overall arc of the story, in my personal opinion. Others may defer, but in my personal opinion, I think they handled it as well as they possibly could. And what I love about it is that they split they split everyone into different groups, like three groups all together. So one group going back to 2012, and then two groups going to 2014, but on different plans to recover each stone just to minimize the travel and what have you. So I thought that was really cool on their part that they did that. And I love the, the comedic moments in it, because even though this is, for the most part, somewhat of a dark movie, I love the... the I love the comedic moments that they had. Like, they were very well-timed. Like, this is America's ass. Like, that was hilarious. Uh, like, Thor, you know, as, as depressing as that kind of seems, like, on the surface, it was kind of funny. Uh, you had you had just little moments with Ant-Man. I mean, Ant-Man was the center of the comedy, really. Like, people were just kind of clowning on him when he's just trying to eat a taco or what have you. Hulk, or, yeah, Hulk giving him one of his tacos. I thought that was kind of cute. Um, but nonetheless, I thought everything was kind of formulated very well in terms of the different moods and, and like how to use jokes and when to use jokes and what have you because that's become a Marvel staple. So they handled that well. They handled that very well. And I love how, you know, going back to the time travel, when Hulk confronted the Ancient One, she kind of explained vaguely and briefly but generally how, you know, time gets manipulated if one aspect, one important crucial aspect of it, the Infinity Stones, gets removed. And so with that theory put in place, you know, it leaves room to be, you know, discussed about when it comes to the future of the MCU. Will there be a multiverse, et cetera, et cetera. So that's something to look out for in the future. But let's focus on the film ahead. So let's just get into the third act right now because that's, 
that was the big crescendo. I, for me personally, the, the first two hours being, you know, exposition and what have you, I felt like that third act where everything comes together to a screeching halt, that was a huge, huge, huge payoff. Huge payoff. I love the fact that, you know, when Thanos from the past, in particular, comes to invade uh, Avengers HQ, he doesn't waste any time. His motions aren't wasted either. He fires all hell on that building, basically. So everything went. And then you had Cap, you had Stark, and you had Thor confront him. And I love the fact that it was those three because they were... It's funny because... Those three com confronted one, one another in the first Avengers film in the woods area. But now it's all three of those guys teaming together to go against Thanos. And what I loved about Thanos is that he was more ruthless in this film. He was more cunning. He was more, more aggressive. Because if you notice, in the first event, or sorry, in Infinity War, he was more defensive uh, when, it, when it came to attacking, basically. Like, he didn't attack just for the sake of doing it, you know, as far as what we saw on camera, he did it for a purpose. And if he was fighting half the time, it was self-defense, basically. But in, in Endgame, he was ruthless. And I think that speaks to whom Thanos was in 2014 versus the Thanos that we saw in, in 2018. So that really goes to show you know, the storytelling and the writing and what have you. So I love the fact that he was going, he was going, you know, wall to wall with all the Avengers. Like, he was trying to give everybody that smoke. And then you had classic moments that will forever be etched in your brain. The moment, well, first of all, you had Thor using both Milmure and Stormbreaker. I thought that was dope. But then, lo and behold, Captain America is now worthy because he's wielding the hammer, which was, your eye, your eye marked the hell out when I saw that. I was like, yo! And... By the way, if you saw it in like a like a fancy like an IMAX or just regular theater, you're good. But if you saw it in VIP, I'm sure people are going to be bougie and not react to it, which is stupid because this is a fun ass movie. But nonetheless, I digress. When he grabbed Mjolnir and started using it, and even started summoning the lightning, I'm like, yo, Cap is worthy like that. He's worthy out here in these streets. Yo, you can't be serious. And I love the fact that Thor is happy for him. He's like, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. That was just dope. I loved it. I loved it. And then I love the fact that despite, despite Cap having a crack shield, um, and despite him being the only one left who isn't incapacitated to take on Thor or uh, to take on Thanos, meanwhile you have his legion of armies, like millions or at least hundreds of thousands at least, coming on his opposition. Cap, he doesn't care. He stands up. He he grips up his, his shield. And he's like, let's go. I want all the smoke. I loved it. And then out of nowhere, all you hear is, Cap? Cap? Can you hear me? It's Sam. On your left. Oh, man. Oh, that was crazy. He was just, ugh. That was crazy. On your left. And again, another callback. And then you see a portal open. You just see one portal open. And then you see three silhouettes. And... I knew the middle one, I knew it was Black Panther and Shuri as it got closer, but I didn't know for sure. And I was like gripping onto my friend. I'm like, is it? Is it? 
And then they finally show the villain, like, yeah! It's like, and everyone starts cheering in the theater, which is dope. And then you see everyone come out. You see Spider-Man come out. You see the Guardians. But then you even see some of the side characters. You see Valkyrie come out. You see her lead and army as Guardians come out. You see the Ravagers from the Guardians come out. You even see Howard the Duck come out with the Tommy gun. Even Howard had the strap. So everyone comes out. Everyone. Everyone they've ever seen in the MCU between 2008 up until now came out through different portals and dimensions. And then we got that glorious moment. That glorious moment we've all been waiting for since the first Avengers movie. Steve Rogers, Captain America. My man said, Avengers! Mjolnir, Captain Mjolnir, boom. Assemble. Man, man, oh man, they chose the perfect time to unleash that. Oh man, like if you're if you're not a fan of, of superhero movies, I get it. This doesn't really mean anything to you. But if you are and you didn't erupt for that scene while you're in the theater, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you because that was probably one of, if not arguably, the most iconic moment in superhero film history. I'm it has to be. It, it's at the very least in the conversation, but that has to be. That was great, man. That was great. I'm just fanboying right now, so don't mind me, but that was a great moment. So the fight ensues. Some of the more highlighted characters show off their, their, their prowess and their abilities. You see Black Panther take the gauntlet, and he's running the field like he's Barry Sanders on steroids, man. Like, he's just out here ducking and dodging people, giving people the Heisman and shit like that. That was crazy. And then he tosses it over to Spider-Man. Spider-Man swinging from left to right. He hops on the Pegasus of, of Valkyrie and flying all over the place. But then he bumps into Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel. By the way, she wrecks shot. Flying through the man's spaceship like he ain't got no car insurance. That was crazy. And then her and then all the other female Avengers line up together. I thought that was dope. I said to my friend, yo, it's ladies night up in this bitch right now. It's crazy. It made me think about uh, A-Force and, Lady, and Lady, Liber Lady Liberators as well. I thought that was sick as well. And then we get to the showdown between Thanos and Tony for the gauntlet. And then... Thanos grabs the gauntlet and he says, I am inevitable. Nothing happens. The jewels are missing. And then we see that Iron Man has it and it's just pulsating in his arm. And then he just says, and I am Iron Man. Boom. Thanos and his troops are gone. But then unfortunately, so is Tony because a regular human being cannot handle the full force of one Infinity Stone, let alone six. So, of course, he had to go. He had to go. But it was a fitting end nonetheless. It was a fitting end nonetheless. A conclusion to an 11-year journey. Someone who was accused of not being able to take one for the team to, to lay, his, lay, his, lay his life on the line and to not trip on that wire. But he damn, he damn near he cut the wire, but he went away with it too, knowing that that would happen. So it was a great, great ending, you know, a great farewell, a great bon, uh, uh, bon voyage to Tony Stark, who played, who uh, was Iron Man for the last 11 years. And, man, those are hard shoes to replace, man. And I got to give it to Robert Downey Jr. Like, very few people fit a particular role that they've played for a long time. He's one of those people that does, in fact, fit that role. 
he is the OG Avenger, man. Like, he probably sparked the greatest comeback in Hollywood history. And at the end of the movie, you see everyone at his funeral. Every single superhero that you've seen within the Marvel Universe up until this point. You even saw the little boy from Iron Man 3 in this as well as, like, a teenager, which is, which is dope to see as well. But, man, it, was, it gave me the feels. And on top of that, Captain America going back in time to return the stones. But then he said, you know what? The universe is saved. I'm chilling. I'm going to call up my lady. I owe her a dance. I owe her some babies. I'm chilling. I'll see you guys on the flip side. And then he comes back as an old man. And he gives a shield to Sam Wilson, which I've been calling for for the longest time because it makes more sense to give Sam the shield than Bucky. Yeah, Bucky is his, his best guy, his pal from back in the day, but he murdered a shit ton of people when he was with Hydra, okay? You can't just give him the shield after all his atrocities. He doesn't, he doesn't encapsulate what America is about or what it should be about. Sam does. Sam, from the jump, has given his life to the service of America. He gave his life to, to assist Captain America. He did whatever was necessary to do the right thing, and that is what... The Captain America mantle should embody. So rightfully so, Sam deserved that shield, and I'm glad he got the shield. So <sighs> we're coming up, man. We're coming up. We're coming up. <laughs> but nonetheless, overall, it was a great film. I loved it. I loved every single minute of it. And this is a film that you can't just see once in the theaters. You gotta see it at least one more time in theaters if you are a fan of Marvel and, and just superhero movies in general and what they do. I don't know where it ranks as, as far as greatest superhero movies of all time, but I feel like automatically it's injected itself into the top 10. Because some of the moments in here are so iconic that they'll be forever etched into your brain. And on top of that, I feel like this current string of MCU films, like this whole saga that we've been a part of for the last 11 years, for our generation, this is our Star Wars. Because think of how iconic Star Wars was uh, when it first came out in 1978 and then, and then into the mid-80s as well. And then there were no Star Wars films until 1999. And despite that, the legacy still lived on. Like, it was still strong and prevalent. And then it continued on through the 2000s, so on and so forth. But for this generation, like these Marvel films, this is our Star Wars. This is our Lord of the Rings. This is it. This is what we have for this decade, for this generation. And I can't wait to see it growing further and further. And, yeah, think about it like this. 11 years ago when Iron Man came out, there may have been one guy or one, or, or one girl who was probably in college or in high school at the time, maybe. You never know. Fast forward now, they may have themselves a kid, a family, move into a house. And now they get to show their kids what they grew up on for the last 11 years. And they themselves get to grow up in the next phase of Marvel movies for another decade plus going forward. So that's the biggest takeaway for me personally, which is totally invaluable. But yeah, this is a great movie. This was a great movie. This is one of the biggest, not only one of the biggest superhero movies, but one of the biggest cinematic achievements of all time. It made a billion dollars in a weekend, guys. That's legendary right there. So I'm glad I got to see this movie. I'm glad I got to be a part of it. I'm glad I got to watch it with people who share that same excitement with me. Shout out to the crew them, you already know. And I'm just glad that I'm just glad that something like this came out, man. Like if you if you've been a superhero fan from time, as far as comics, movies, television, then what a time it is to be alive. This is a great movie. I'm not even gonna give it a ranking. I don't even need to. It's 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 self-explanatory at this point. 
Um, man, this is a great movie. This is going to be a movie that will be remembered for generations to come, I guarantee you. No doubt. But what did you guys think about Infinity War? Did you like it? Did you love it? Did you have some nitpicks with it? I did, but like they're very inconsequential nitpicks in my opinion. There's, I'm, I'm sure there's a gang of stuff that I did not mention in here just based on the time frame that I have. But if you want to continue this conversation, then by all means, hit me up on social media on any platform at Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts. After the break, man, we're going to get into a miniature version of Trip Talk, so keep it locked. This is Cool Radio, and we'll be right back after these messages. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, y'all, welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool, and this is Cool Radio. <clears throat> so let's get into Trip Talk, all right? So this is going to be a more condensed miniature version of Trip Talk. Uh, I'm not sure how many topics I'm going to be able to get to out of the three, but let's get to them anyway, nonetheless, and see where we go from there. So main topic I want to talk about in Trip Talk for sure is Taylor Swift, all right? Now, Taylor Swift caught some flack on social media, uh, due to the fact that it stems around her performance at the Billboard Music Awards this past week. So, for her set, she was basically dressed up like a... Kind of like a... I don't know what you would call it, but basically like she was in a marching band, essentially. And she was like the ringleader of it. And she had her drummers and every member of the marching band on, on set. They were in their outfits and, and what have you. Now, a lot of people were upset about this because it automatically drew comparisons to Beyonce's theme from Coachella uh, last summer when she did the whole HBCU theme at Coachella with her HBCU gear and with the whole marching band ensemble and what have you. So I took a look at the pictures and, and the stills and what have you, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it kind of looks like she's biting right now. Yeah, it's not a good look, Taylor. And here's my thing with Taylor Swift, all right? I don't hate her. But I do find her annoying. I find her very annoying because I feel as though she comes across as entitled. I feel as though she has a diva complex. I'm not sure. Like, she's obviously not the first and only uh, woman in music to have a diva complex. But I feel like hers is a very bratty diva complex. Not that that makes it any better or worse, but it's, it's just very bratty and very immature. And on top of that, I feel like she trolls. But she doesn't know that she trolls. She's just being who she is. But she doesn't know that her personality and the way she kind of conducts herself really draws the ire of many people. And that's just how she is. Like, Kodak Black and Takashi 69 know for a fact that they troll. But I don't feel as though Taylor Swift is aware of that. She's very unaware of the fact that she trolls. Because this wouldn't be the first time that someone has called her out for biting or trying to be something that she's not, acting all brand new. Like, not to say that people can't change or go for, like, an image revamp or makeover, but it's almost as though it's a case of somebody who used to be somewhat of, like, a geek or a nerd in high school, in one particular high school, but then they get transferred to a different high school, and now they're all brand new. They're, 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 they're the hood man or they're the bad bitch and they're dressing all sexy and they're, they're talking with a bit more slang and they're styling their hair differently. Just a complete revamp and a reboot of who they are. And some people kind of kind of sniff it and they smell it because it's inauthentic. Now, I do believe that if you want to change for the better or, or what you define as the better, that by all means go through the change. But 
at the end of the day, you can't fake the funk. Like, people can smell inauthenticity from a mile away. Real recognize real. This is a fact. Now, there are some people who are going as far as to say that she's cultural appropriating. I personally wouldn't go that far. It's not like a Miley Cyrus thing where she's operating solely within rap, only collaborating with the rap artist, discarding it, and then going back to her rap roots. It's not. It's nothing like that. I feel like she'll she'll take bits and pieces from hip hop culture because let's be honest, hip hop culture is pop culture, and she'll take a little bit of the aesthetics and what have you and implement them in her music videos. I haven't heard her rap before. I haven't heard her say the word bars or I got swag. Maybe she has. I haven't, but I haven't personally heard her say it. And I'm not seeing her sing songs with a whole bunch of soul artists and what have you. So I can't call her a cultural appropriator. I can't call that like. That's something that I would give to somebody like, uh, like uh, what's her name? I just mentioned her, Miley Cyrus, or even like a Post Malone, for example. I'm not gonna go that far into it, but she has taken you know elements from from different aspects of hip hop culture here and there and implemented them into her aesthetic. But that's only here and there. She hasn't done it consistently for me to call her a culture vulture. It's different with other people like a Miley Cyrus who literally collaborate with other rappers who conducts themselves in mannerisms that are particularly known throughout hip-hop and what have you, collaborating with producers. and it, Like, she's a culture vulture, most definitely. Taylor Swift, it, this is just the pop thing to do, taking aspects from, from different arenas of pop culture and molding it into one. Like, that's nothing new. She's not the first to do that, and she's definitely not going to be the last to do it. But she's definitely annoying. Um, I didn't read all the tweets that people were sending her away as far as what she's doing, but that was definitely biting. And when you're trying to bite for somebody like Beyonce, of all people, who everybody has their eyes on, you're not going to get away with it. This is like me robbing a bank in broad daylight with wearing no mask at all whatsoever. Like, it's you're going to get caught. You're going to get called out for it as well. So it would have been a better look for her to be a bit more original with her performance set. Um, and hopefully she'll learn from this. I doubt she will, but... Who cares? She's still selling out records, or selling records. She's still selling out arenas and concerts. Taylor is being Taylor. I really don't care, but I know a lot of people had eyes on that, so Taylor, you got to watch out in these streets. <laughs> but nonetheless, what do you guys think about the story? Either way, hit me up on Twitter or on social media in general, at CC to share your thoughts. So like I said, that is a condensed version of <clears throat> Trip Talk because we're kind of running low on time right now. So with that being said, it's been a long time since I've said this. <clears throat> Who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the Captain of Coonery this week? It is time for the Wankster of the Week. This week's Wankster of the Week goes to a newcomer to the Wankster Hall of Shame, by the name of G Herbo. He is a recording artist. I know some of the younger generation is more into his music. Me, I've heard the name, but I couldn't even tell you what song he's done in the past or currently has on rotation right now. Nonetheless, he is in the Wangster Hall because he put hands on his, what, uh, the child of his, uh, the, the, the mother of his children. Yes, there we go. I was going to say baby mama, but that term is so redundant. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm off of that term. Anyways, I digress. So initially what happened was he dragged he dragged the woman by her hair and has and left bruises on her body allegedly because of the, because of her stealing something from his mother. 
So that's the excuse that he used. And this was documented during a conversation on Instagram or something to that extent. So she pressed charges on him, and rightfully so. And if convicted, then he's facing a one-year jail sentence. Now, here's the thing right here. First and foremost, you shouldn't put your hands on your spouse, whether it's a man on a woman or a woman on a man. You shouldn't be putting your hands on your spouse to resolve a scenario. Secondly, if she did, in fact, steal something from you or any member of your family, then you would have been in the right had you called the police and filed a police report on her saying that she committed theft, taking her to small claims, whatever the case may be. Either way, had you not put your hands on her and you have like, let the authorities handle it, you would have been in the clear. But no, you had to be a real-ass nigga. You had to keep it real. Why? Because that's what real niggas do. Hashtag real nigga shit. That's what you had to do. That's what you said in your mind that you had to succumb to. And look what happened. You mollywhopped your girlfriend. She got bruises all over her. And that and I don't know if that's your girlfriend or not. That could be like your ex-girlfriend. But regardless of your marital status with that woman, that is the mother of your child. Your child. So what are you going to tell your kid when he or she is all grown up that you put hands on her because she stole like an heirloom or something like that? You're stupid. You are stupid. You're a loser. And if you do get the jail time, I do not feel sorry for you at all one bit. And if this guy does get the jail time, I do not want to see people with free G Herbal t-shirts. No. If I see that, then you should go in jail with him as well. Share the same bar of soap and everything. So with that being said, G Herbo, you get the wankster of the week. Do you deserve this wankster? Of course you do. I'm going to drop it one more time on you just like this. And that about does it for tonight's show, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you guys for tuning in as you normally do on a consistent basis. I really do appreciate it. I do appreciate your, your patience and your waiting and what have you. We will roll on consistently as we do every Friday. I get guests lined up for the month. I will keep you guys posted on that. And I am working. And while I was gone from the show, I had also placed more time into working on other things that are cool, radio-related, that will only enhance the show going forward. I will keep you up to date with that once everything is finalized. But nonetheless, thank y'all for tuning in. And as you already know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment. Remind you each and every day that we are creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace. Cool.